We have ignition sequence start. Short distance, high impact. Five, four, three, two. All engines running. Ten questions with Adam Zwar. Big names, great minds. Make yourself a cup of tea. Liftoff. We have liftoff. Welcome to 10 Questions. I'm really looking forward to playing you today's interview. It's with comedian and longtime radio host Marty Sheargold. Marty moved to Melbourne from Canberra in the early 90s to take up a spot at the VCA acting school before getting kicked out after one year. That's something he and I have in common. We're both kicked out of acting school. He then got into stand-up comedy, became friends with Lawrence Mooney, did a play called The Trade, which he co-wrote and acted in. That was the first time I saw Marty, and his portrayal of a cricket-loving house painter turned me into an instant fan. It was one of the first times I'd seen someone talking the way I do on a stage. Marty's a better talker than me, of course, but but it was the vibe. Since then, he's been doing commercial radio all around the country, and this year, his show with Kate Ritchie and Tim Blackwell won big at the Australian Commercial Radio Awards. In this conversation, he gives some great advice to those wanting to join the entertainment industry, but here's a tip from me. You can only throw your weight around like Marty does if you're as good as Marty, and he's very good. I hope you enjoyed the chat. Marty Sheargold, question one, when were you most happy? When was I most happy? Um... Look, I'm pretty happy now. It's hard to say, isn't it? Because you're you're sort of not in those moments anymore. I mean, you have happy moments, but do you ever have happy, elongated periods where you could say that through my 20s I was happy because I wouldn't have been. I was dirt poor and I had no work and, uh, you know, I don't know. I think if it's sort of incremental moments adding up, I'm pretty close to... To happy now, but happy's overrated, mate. No one got anything good done when they were happy. <laughs> <laughs> happy's when you take your foot off the gas. That's exactly. I mean, right. if you if you lived in a state of happiness all the time, you'd be such a bore. Mm. Just faffing around. I mean, I'd probably really start hooking into beer. Yeah. Um, you know, happy happy sounds like it could afford you some some addictive freedom. <laughs> You're right, though, mate. What great work of art has been done by a happy None. person? No, no one ever went. Gee, Michelangelo seems pretty happy at the moment. He's really taken his foot off the gas work-wise. <laughs> that conversation didn't ever happen. <laughs> That's right. And even in sport, all the all the greats are, are a little bit grumpy. Oh, absolutely in sport. AB was very grumpy. AB, famously grumpy. I mean, who isn't? Leighton Hewitt. Yeah. I mean, on, on court, famously cranky. All of, in fact, the whole tennis world cranks. Um, they are. They're just furious. Soccer, soccer oh. blokes never seem happy. No. Um, no. I mean, those big collision sports like league and union, no one out there is having fun. <laughs> but I don't care. You can't tell me that's fun. That is not fun. No. No. That's just... That's just waiting, waiting to die. It doesn't matter what age I am. I'm in my 40s now. No English prop has ever looked younger than me. <laughs> so true. My God, they're ugly men, aren't they? With their giant cauliflower ears. They're, they come into the side a middle-aged man. And, and they exit the side an old man. An old man that's just 
going to wake up every morning and feel worse until dementia sets in or early onset Parkinson's because of all of the head clashes or, or they have a giant bleed through the night and don't wake up. They don't even know the damage they're doing. I guess the reason for the rugby union theme was I spoke to Marty on the eve of the Rugby World Cup final. Despite our slightly disparaging comments about the game and its participants, we're both really looking forward to it. Moving on to question two. Who would you like to apologise to and why? Oh, God. Oh, Jesus. Well, it depends how, how heavy we're going. I mean, if I really wanted to apologise to someone, it would be a dear old friend of mine that took his own life and I didn't know how unwell he was. I mean, if we're having an honest conversation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just didn't see how unwell he was. Um, so, you know, I'd apologise to him happily tomorrow if I could, this afternoon. Um, but in sort of, in, in, a, in a lighter version of a chat, uh, look, I'm sure there's people I've worked with over the years that have probably seen the good and bad side of me in the workplace. There's probably a few people there I could apologise to or alternatively say to them, get better at what you do and we won't have to have these kind of conversations. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, lift. Lift or lift. fuck off. <laughs> lift or fuck off, advice we can all take on board. But soon Marty and I returned to the subject of the friend who took his own life. I made the point that many people blame themselves for not being aware when a friend's on the verge of taking their own life and then carry that burden for a long time. But it's hard to recognise the warning signs when you're not a mental health professional. Well, and also I was distracted by my own life. I'd just had my first child. I was doing a job that I hated that was sucking the life out of me. Mm. So I had lots of stuff going on in the background where I was like, oh, Christ, I was just keeping my head above water myself. Mm. Um, and I knew, I knew, um, <clears throat> I knew that, um, that he was unwell. I just didn't realise how unwell. Yeah. Um, because he wasn't presenting that front to me. He was presenting a front that even when I was asking him, are you, are you, are you, how are you travelling? He was saying, fine, no problems. I mean, clearly that was not true. Um, he'd, he'd, he'd sort of let his parents into how unwell he was. Um, but yeah. really outside of that, there was another close friend of his that knew. And I sort of, you know, if I, if I had, you know, to apologise to someone, and equally one of my great regrets in life is not being more available to him. Oh, well, that leads into my next question. What is your greatest regret? Well, it'd be tied up with that. Yeah. And it'd be tied. Regret's a funny thing because it's a choice. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm, I don't regret a lot of things because, you know, choices are so so often and so many mm. that you don't know at the time whether it's good, bad or in between. So certainly to look back on something and regret um, it's really just another form of hindsight. And who knows when you're making all the choices that we make as adults? Mm. Who knows whether they're right or wrong? And really, what does it matter if no one gets hurt? Yeah, yeah, that's I true. mean, what does, it, what does it matter if you make a few bad choices along the way? I could be about to make a choice this afternoon that I regret. I could have six beers and decide to drive home. Um, 
I'll be posting this later, so, you know, we don't know what's going to happen to Marty, uh, listeners. (laughs) (laughs) I'll try not to drink and drive. But if I do, I apologise in advance. And I promise I won't. If if I get caught and I blow over, I won't. I won't condemn other people down the track for doing the same thing I've done, because what I love is public is, is opinion people like myself, people with strong opinions, who don't have a clean slate. <laughs> it's it's priceless. And then Marty listed some professional opinion makers who'd been caught drink driving, and as a result, were no longer able to write thunderous columns condemning other people who also partook in that behaviour. Must be awful not to be able to have a shot at someone when they blow over. Mm. Yeah, that's one of the that's one of the great joys left in life. <laughs> Having a shot at someone who's blown over. Now the new one is when someone gets caught out using cocaine. You know, you're getting into the Jeff Hugel territory. Yeah. <laughs> People in glass houses have got to be very careful. But, you know, the big ones now, the, the next generation of the big ones are going to be the first kid on Home and Away who gets done doing ice. Yeah. That'll be one That'll be one we're all looking forward to. <laughs> Just waiting for a kid to make a mistake to crucify him. Yeah. <laughs> Question five. Who is the person who most influenced you and how? Look, it's probably from a from a sort of a a life point of view, it'd be it'd be my father who really instilled a real sort of ethic into me that was about wasn't about sort of effort for reward, it was more about enjoying the effort regardless of the reward. He was never he was never about, you know, goals and outcomes being how you sort of move forward. He was about, you know, committing to something and seeing that commitment through and enjoying the process. And what did he do? And I think he was a, he was a um, <clears throat> principal, headmaster. Ah. And, but he had a really, you know, he had a really interesting young life. And he was a, and still is, a great man. And, you know, I tell you, the happiest times I get is when he and I are sitting down talking and talking about what his life was like as a child and as a youth and into manhood. And I can remember asking him once, you know, through your life, when does time feel that it was moving at its quickest for you? I said, was it when you had three kids under four and you were trying to carve out your career? He said, no, it's right now. And I thought, oh, God, how frightening. Mm. Yeah, you know, and it is right now. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's what, the end of October. Yeah. And I know, you know, people will be listening to this thinking, so what? Mate, I don't think I've ever had a quicker year. No. So, yeah, look, really, Dad really shaped me in terms of the way that I look at, at, at life. Absolutely. I certainly haven't lived my life the same way that my father lived his. Certainly from a sort of a, a lifestyle and, you know, and, and that kind of thing. But that's not to say I didn't learn anything from him. Were you a little bit more of the anarchist? I, I never worked as hard as that. I never put my, my, my nose to the grindstone. But I was never, I was never a real anarchist. I was always sort of, you know, 
stumbling along without any vision. This is something I think about a lot. It's very hard in the entertainment industry in Australia, as small as, as it is, to actually have a vision. There are too many variables. Oh, of course. And there's no work. You, you just do what you can and then just hope everything else falls into place. Yeah, that's right. And I don't know if it's luck anymore. It just feel, feels like to me it's just timing. It's just are you around when a job comes up. Oh, mate, totally. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, even feel, you don't, it doesn't even feel like you're lucky anymore. No. Which is, which is awful. All the work I've ever gotten over the years has been through a friend or from a friend. Yeah, right. No one's ever cold called, rang me and said, do you want a job? Yeah. I've seen your dirty laundry. I like the cut of your jib. Never, never <laughs> happened. No. It may be that someone's seen me on dirty laundry, but it'll then be now that I've been around so long, it'll be an acquaintance or a friend ringing me and saying, hey, do you want to do this? Yeah. Yeah. You yeah, know? exactly. Reminded by your appearance or something. Exactly. Maybe. Yeah. That's right. It's sort of like now the secret to surviving has just become persevering. Really, if you just if you hang around long enough, the work will come. But the amount of people you and I would have seen throw it in because they start to carry debt, have kids, need a job, bang, they quit. I started in 93. Like, I could probably name you 20 blokes, I don't know, who, who I've never seen since 1996, mm. who were fun and talented blokes. And then they just made a call. Yeah. Tough um, call, though, isn't it? And then Marty made the point that if you love making people laugh, don't stop just because you're not making any money out of it. I think people want to just perform mm. um, as a first sort of port of call. And and then their eyes light up and they think, I can make a living out of this. Yeah. And then they can't make a living out of it. And they move away from the idea that the reason they started in the first place because it, it felt good to stand on stage and get a laugh. Yeah. But somehow when the money disappears out of that equation, they throw it in. And yeah. I don't understand that because if it's what you love and what you want and you want to feel that way, why wouldn't you just do it anyway around whatever else you're doing? And then we moved on to Marty's most important piece of advice, do comedy for the right reasons. Now, this American culture is in comics now. This sort of culture of stand-up comedy wasn't around when we started. It hadn't... No. It hadn't infiltrated and permeated the scene. So we didn't know what a stand-up comic should be like. So yeah. we were just ourselves. And then you were either funny or you sort of weren't. But now there's guys getting up in black T-shirts and black jeans. They all think they're Louis C.K. and they're going to get a chat show. <laughs> well, you're not. You know? And, and, and worse, that's why you're in it. And while Marty was talking comedy, he wanted to make a point to those people who don't think he's the funniest person in his family. Mum always used to say to me, your brother's funnier than you. I said, Mum, anyone can be funny at a barbecue twice a year. Yeah. But yeah. Can, he be, can, he, can he be funny on a Tuesday because he has to be? Yeah. If Marty's brother's listening, get back to us on Twitter at The10Questions and tell us, can you be funny on a Tuesday? Mate, uh, question six... When was the last time you cried and why? Oh, jeez. I'm not a big crier. It's not to say that I don't cry. I don't cry regularly. I'm not, I'm not an overtly emotional guy. Gee, I really don't know. It wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be a film. It'd be a personal issue. It would have been something going on in my life or someone's life around me that's, you know, 
It was upsetting. Mm. I'm not going to cry at a date movie. That's Nothing's fine. springing to mind. <laughs> Apart from every day when I cry on the drive into work and wonder what's happened to my life. <laughs> <laughs> As I'm heading up the M1 and can't see through the tears. <laughs> <laughs> Question seven. What is your current state of mind? Uh, absolute current state of mind. Pretty tired. I'm worn down at the moment. But, you know... I'm always sort of reasonably intact. Yeah. I'd be lying if I didn't say my current state of mind was tired. It's mm. getting towards the end of a, a pretty long year now. I guess the older I get, the more I feel that expectation of other people around you to sort of keep executing at a reasonable level, and that wears me down. At the same time, it doesn't take me long to recharge. You know, literally, I can, I can sort of... I can recharge over 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 a five day break and come back feeling fresh, but at the moment I'm struggling to the end of the year. Yeah, I mean we do 220 shows a year, Fact. and this is like 14 years in. I mean it's a lot of work, really. All jokes aside, people think you rock up, you don't do anything, because when you when you're good at something, it doesn't matter what that is, you make it look easy. Mm. So then people have that perception. Oh, mate, looks like fun. Entertainment industry looks like fun. Oh, or worse, they think you're lazy. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Because you're good at what you do. Mate, over the years, there must have been sales guys seeing me walk through that building half an hour before a shift start and leave the minute it ends, and they must just think, what? That, you know, I can't imagine what goes through their minds when they're getting in there at 7.30 in the morning and leaving at 6 at night. But there's that other stuff that you do. And, you know, I reckon it, the more laconic you are, the more people think that you're lazy, when in actual fact, that's just your stick. You got that. Yeah, that's right. I've had to actually say to guys in there, don't bite into the act, mate. Mm. Question eight, Marty, what do you consider your greatest achievement? Oh, easily, my, my two girls. Um, easily um, watching them grow up. Um, from a work point of view, uh, probably consistency, just sort of getting to that level and sort of executing. Question nine, who would you want on your side in a battle and why? Oh. Could be a comedy Ooh. battle, could be a work battle, could be a <laughs> battle on a field. Oh, well, if it can be a comedy battle and just for absolute sharpness of mind and the the, the sort of piercing intelligence of Lawrence Mooney. Yeah. Um, one of the greats. Yeah. <laughs> Serious, seriously one of the greats. I mean, talk about a bloke that could work any room uh, and walk away with his head held high. When did you first see the Moon Man in full flight? Uh, I'd, I'd be guessing but mid-90s, 95, maybe. <sighs> Very early doors, you could see that Moon Man was a proper comic. You know, that sort of, that intelligence... And that observational power, um, obviously, is wit and turn of phrase, but also that sort of mixture of disdain and contempt as required are a formidable force. He's a proper comic, Florence Mooney, and there's a few proper comics around, you know. But Dave you guys, Hughes, Dave Hughes, you know, yeah, Will Anderson, Carl Barron. Of, of the generation that I went through with, um, you know, proper comics. You guys, you and Moon remind me a bit of each other, though. It feels like you, you are cut from a similar cloth. Yes, I think we are. And I think that's right. 
and we have a similar sense of humour and when we get together and have a laugh, it's the most enjoyable laugh. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a real deep, deep belly laugh. Yeah, you need those people in your life. Mate, you need those people because it's an immediate sort of pressure release. You feel you're being understood. Yeah, that's right. It comes from shared experience and all of us that have been around for that amount of time know how difficult it is um, to be around for that amount of time and to sort of navigate your way through what it is to be a performer for a living. Yeah. Because it's not, it's not, you know, everyone says, oh, it's a, you know, you're not digging holes. Mate, shit, some days I'd rather dig a hole. If you oh, gave yeah. me a shovel and said, just dig a six-foot hole, days where you just go, oh, fuck. Yeah. You know, but it's relentless when, you, when you're a five-day-a-week a guy. It's just relentless. Yeah. And yeah. The, discipline, the discipline around it, you know. So I'd love to go and do a gig on a Thursday night and not come home until Tuesday morning. Mate, I'd is... love to have a five-day bender in a motel on a highway. <laughs> well, this is it. It's like to have survived as long as you have in radio, that's a, that, that requires skill and patience and ability not to piss people off. Yeah, well, what it does, what it really involves is the ability to understand that, to really truly understand that you're going to have to compromise and, and you know, you're going to have to really pick your battles because you can't go in and fight every day. Because no. it's and I did for the first five, six, seven years. I went in and fought every day, <laughs> and, and 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 to a degree that's afforded me a certain amount of freedom at this end of my career, because that was the reputation that I had for a long time. And I suppose you encounter all sorts of different people in 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 the work sort of environment, and they know that reputation. And some of them would just think, well, you know, let's give this bloke room and look. I'm sure that that reputation has afforded me some slack over the years, but it's not who I am now. But I did go in pretty hard pretty early to sort of fight my corner so that I could try to be a little bit closer to the authentic me. So how do you you have these fights without upsetting people? Well, I I don't think you can really have a really proper sort of humdinger without upsetting people. Mm. But it shouldn't. It should never be personal. No, no, that's it. Okay. It, it it should only ever be, hey, you know, this is what I'd like to do. Let's 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 talk about why we can or can't. And mate, it was really the things I wouldn't do. And really, if you say you're not going to do something, that, that's hard for the person arguing the other case. If you're sort of sitting there saying, no, I'm not going to go on the biggest slip and slide in Australia. You know, wearing a chicken suit. Yeah. And the other guy sort of doesn't have much room to move then. <laughs> I've done the chicken suit, mate. Because you, you can't make me. It's very difficult to get a grown man into, into a chicken suit. Well, I also feel like now I'm starting to get recognition finally now, sort of 13, 14 years down the track, for making the kind of radio that I can make now. Yeah. Which means we don't, haven't and won't do that kind of radio. I'm not going to talk to the guy from X Factor. I'm not talking to any of the MasterChef people. Mm. I'm not talking to Rebecca Gibney or Eric Thompson about 800 words. (laughs) I I don't care about any of that. Yeah. Yeah. I personally am not interested in that. 
And it's taken me a long time to sort of finally get to a point where I can make the radio show that I want. Marty, the, the final question is what would you like your last words to be? Thank fuck, that's over. We have ignition sequence start. Short distance, high impact. Five, four, three, two, all engines running. Ten questions with Adam Zwar. Big names, great minds. Make yourself a cup of tea. Liftoff. We have liftoff. 